stuff, right? That's the things that you learn on the platform through in training. Mm-hmm. The platform can be training or in competition. Mm-hmm. Those lessons that you learn there definitely extend outside the gym, mm-hmm. outside the competition platform. Right. One of the biggest lessons I've learned through training is having patience. Yeah. Yeah. Because we want results. Right. We want strength. Right. We want to make gains. Right. And it will come. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have to work hard and you have to all, all the obvious things. What's up, guys? In today's episode, I interview my buddy Cap. Um, listen to his tips on building confidence. Um, he's going to share his philosophy on um, weight training. He's going to share his philosophy on um, life experiences. He's going to share some stories about how he grew up. Uh, he's an interesting guy, has a lot of interesting things to say. Um, so here it is. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, guys, today I have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Cap, El Capitan, the Captain, Latino Heat, the Dean of Mean. I feel like I'm introducing Apollo Creed. Jose <laughs> Cano, thanks for stopping by, talking to me. Go ahead and uh, give everyone a quick uh, two-minute elevator pitch about yourself. Thanks, Andres. As Andres saying, this is Josue Cano, the captain, also known as Latino Heat, bringing the heat back into the 805 area code. Right. I met Andres through the weightlifting and powerlifting circles, cafe, yeah, and now we're here podcasting in this beautiful city of Oxnard, California, my home. Yeah, it's pretty nice. We came to the uh, the marina over here. We're looking out over some nice boats. It's very romantic. So we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll keep it straight. Um, you know, I live in San Francisco. Yeah, hey, well, you know, what happens in Frisco? Stays in Frisco. That's right. So, okay. So, you moved to Frisco. You're from the 805. I'm from the 805. Born and raised in Oxnard. No. No? All right. So, here we go. No, I was born in Ojai. Okay. Yeah. But I lived in Oxnard. Uh, Another hippie. Hippie town. Another hippie town. I'm coming full circle, practically. That's that's right. But, no, I was born in Ojai. And then, shortly after that, we lived in Saticoy. All right. Which is on the east end of Ventura. Right. And from there... Once I became aware that I'm a person and I'm a human and I have a memory and consciousness, mm-hmm. I realized, okay, now I, I'm in Oxnard. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, okay. Don't rem- I don't remember anything about living in, in Ojai, vaguely about Saticoy, but Oxnard, that's where I grew up all my life. All right. What high school did you go to? I went to Rio Mesa High School. All right. So uh, I met, uh, I knew of Josue the first time. Um, I was researching a gym that I was going to go to, um, and actually, um, not to sound like I'm a stalker, but I was also looking for a gym, and at that time, um, we were speaking of this gym. We, I don't know if I want to name the gym, but it was in Camarillo. We are just talking about it. They still had their website up, Yeah. and you were on, I guess, their promotional video mm. doing some weightlifting. Yeah. Yep. And so... Um, just so happened that I was researching uh, athletics gym, which was uh, CrossFit Fast at the time. Yeah. And you were also, you know, stuff happened, that gym closed, blah, blah, blah. You're now at athletics. You were there. And I had asked you 
your opinion on that gym through Twitter, and you gave me your opinion of of the gym, and so uh, we met the first time early one morning there at the gym over in uh, over in Westlake. So ever since then we've had something in common in the 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 era of uh, social media and the internet, right? You you meet a lot of people that you wouldn't meet otherwise, right? Just because you have things in common, interests, yeah. right? Yeah. So um definitely met through the iron game, that's so, for sure. Um Olympic weightlifting isn't something that's common around here. No, not especially not. at the time when you started, right? How did you get into into doing that? That's a really great question. I'm I'm really glad you answered that. So, for those that don't know or that do know, I am a, I practice the sport of Olympic weightlifting. And if you've ever seen the Olympics, the sport of weightlifting is the Olympic sport where they lift weights over their head. It's contested by two lifts, which is the snatch and the clean and jerk. Different than powerlifting. But yeah. when every time I say I do powerlifting, they always say, well, is that like what they do in the Olympics? Exactly. And then I have to go through the whole description of the difference between the two. And then they get a, gla- a glazed look over their eyes. And then, you know, the conversation ends. I, I, that's why I'm differentiating here yeah. to our listeners. Right. The difference between Olympic weightlifting yeah. power and powerlifting. Yeah. And they're two different sports. But I practice the one that's practiced in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And I've been practicing Olympic weightlifting since 2008. And at that time, I'll tell you the story, the true story of how I got into Olympic weightlifting. Because as Andres says, here in the 805, especially in Oxnard, it's not that popular. Mm -mm. It's growing nationwide, Mm -hmm. like leaps and bounds. But for some reason in the 805, it's still a very, 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 very underground, practically underground sport. Mm -hmm. I started in 2008, which is even less, way less popular. Right. And at the time, I was working at Amgen, at the gym at Amgen. All right. And I had heard about this. In its heyday. In its heyday over there. I loved it. I had a great time over Mm -hmm. there. And I heard about this thing called CrossFit. Mm Mm-hmm. And at, the, and at the time, I was carrying this certification called the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the PhD for strength sports, mm-hmm. certifications go. Mm-hmm. And they had this thing called weightlifting, Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. And what I had known is that it was contested in the Olympics, but you have to be like really young to re- be really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. And so my urgency, I really wanted to learn this because the movements were really cool and hard. But I knew like I don't have that much time. In order right. to be really, really good. So I had this sense of urgency to really get started. And thankfully, there was a place called Newberry Park Athletic Club okay. right across the street from Amgen mm-hmm. who had uh, weightlifting, bumper plates, and platforms and a team there. Okay. And I got started by Coach uh, Butch. He was like my first coach that I started through there. Okay. And this is back in 2008. That's how I got started in Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and when he means young i mean um you know the u.s athletes um start really late when they start here in in the states right compared to european weightlifting where they start and from what i understand just my research um you know on the internet um they start young and in the beginning they aren't um judged on the weight lifted they're judged on their technique that they that they use when they're lifting. Right? That that is so correct on this. I'm really glad you brought that up. So, in the sport of weightlifting, we'll take the European model, 
and they adopted their model from the Soviets. Mm-hmm. I actually went to Colombia back in 2015 because Colombia, for those that don't know, they're a very, very, very competitive and very good weightlifting team. And they have schools all over Colombia to recruit youth to polish and develop and to become mm-hmm. the best Colombian weightlifters they could be to right. represent their country. Right. And so these schools, think of uh, Little League Baseball. Think right. of Little League Soccer. Yes. Okay? Think of those kind of leagues. Mm-hmm. But they have those leagues for weightlifting in Europe and in Asia. Yeah. yeah. And in Colombia now. Well, but even the model here for youth sports is not... Well, compared to Europe, the model here for youth sports is is more... I mean, in my opinion, is more for the coach to have, you know, win, right? And in Europe, especially, I mean, I come from a soccer background, especially in Europe for soccer, the, the youth sports are more for developing talent, right? Not for the club winning... Um, games or titles, mm-hmm. right? So it's more for developing talent. So you can say, you know, that guy who's a pro now came from our club. Regardless of what our record was, we taught him, right? So in general, the European model is to develop skills in, in the youth mm-hmm. so they can eventually become good athletes when they're an adult, right? So their focus is not on, um, you know, winning when they're young. Their focus is winning when they're old, Yes. Right? So, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that outside of Europe, people adopting the model uh, view it, you know, completely in in the same way, right? You you start them young, you teach them right, you correct them, you know, you don't want their ego to get too big. You want to make sure they know what they're doing before you let them, let themselves, let them loose, right? And then they jack up their own. I went in 2015, as uh, you know, I, I repeat, I'll say again, I was in Colombia. And Colombia has, they're very successful in Olympic weightlifting. Mm-hmm. They win medals in world championships and in the Olympics. All right. I got a hold of the, the junior national coach. Mm-hmm. His name is uh, Luis Arrieta. Mm-hmm. He's still, you know, one of the head coaches of the Colombian mm-hmm. national team. And mm-hmm. he invited me over to come to his, to his, his training club. Yep. And so I went. It's in Barranquilla, Colombia, mm-hmm. which is on the North Caribbean coast. Mm-hmm. And so I went there, and we go to the Metropolitano Stadio, which is the mm-hmm. Metropolitan Stadium for the local for the big soccer team there mm-hmm. in Colombia. And his his training gym is underneath the bleachers mm-hmm. there in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And for to our standards, it looks dilapidated with rusty bars and well, mediocre equipment. To our mean your standards, right. It would be a great place to go train. For yeah, because I'm hardcore. I don't yeah. care about no, right. equipment. You I know? mean, yeah. I mean, you. I mean, I. I go to the gym I go to now because I mean it's a hardcore. It's hardcore gym, right? Yeah. We like hardcore gyms, right? You know, so I, I have a saying that says like, if your gym offers towel service, right, that's not the gym I want to go to. No, no. All right. So you're there under the. So I mean, Colombia in general, especially the area, yeah, is not very well off, right? It's a very poor area. Um. Yes and no. It's like it's like Oxnard, for example. You have your spots that are great, mm-hmm. not not so great spots. Mm-hmm. I'm just particularly talking about this particular gym. Yeah. To those that don't know, like it looks, it would look dilapidated for me and you. Yeah. Like, oh, this is where we're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I get there, everyone there is like 20 years and under. Okay. Youth. Yeah. And junior lifters, and I see this guy. He's 77 kilos, which is about 170 pounds. Mm-hmm. 
and he's squatting 250 kilos, mm-hmm. which is 550 pounds, mm-hmm. and he's uh, 19. Right. And I was just blown away. Yep. Blown away. And That's this, a big this, deal. This is very uh, common in Colombia. And not a half squat. <laughs> no. Right? It's, it's uh, the this squat. Is, this is Olympic weightlifting style, yeah. right? All the way to the ground. Yeah, it was right. it was impressive. Yeah. I was very very impressed, and so I went there to learn about Colombian weightlifting, mm-hmm. and they have the schools that you were mentioning, mm-hmm. where these schools are nationwide. Mm-hmm. If you are a youth lifter, mm-hmm. you participate in the league, mm-hmm. and the state funds you if you're really good. Right. They will pay for your trips. They will pay right. and sponsor for your performance. It's, it's right. really really unique. Right. And, and they and got their system from the Cubans, who they got them from the Soviets. Yeah, well, yep. And, I mean, um, and anyone who does... Well, there, there's European-style training, we'll say roots, in, in all kinds of athletic sports, right? They, they studied how to train people, right? And people changed it in whatever way they want whatever way they did to say that it's their own method but all the real good training methods came from Europe or you know Eastern Bloc Soviet area absolutely I have a lot to say about that because we grew up during a time during the Cold War Mm -hmm. and it was very patriotic to think of everything like yeah pro-American pro pro Western and freedom and anything that came from the communist bloc was mm-hmm. evil and, and demonized. Mm-hmm. However, though, shortly after the Second World War, the Soviet Union was allowed to get into the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, and for the Soviet Union and for their allies to prove that their system is superior than the allies, they were the first to develop a, a systematic model that incorporated doctors, mm-hmm. engineers, scientists right. into physical training. Right. They called it physical culture. Right. That was what we term exercise. Right. And their athletes, especially in the Olympics, excelled in mm-hmm. many sports mm-hmm. that either were head on with the Americans and the Allies or far beyond superseded. I mean, mm-hmm. who those that saw the Soviet Union dominate in gymnastics, mm-hmm. in weightlifting, in track and field, mm-hmm. it was very impressive. Mm-hmm. But however, though, because we live here in in the united states we think nothing that can come out of there right is is legit or real it's 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 communism it's evil mm-hmm. but they were the first to systemize training right i mean and, and at that time I mean, even now i mean um uh technically it's an amateur sport right but they you know they make it very serious that i mean they don't I would assume like stipend, stipend and food and housing maybe is 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 associated with the, their their methods to keep their athletes where they can keep track of them, but I mean amateur sport here and amateur sport there is like night and day, right? We would, we would probably consider if we would look at them on, at face value, we would say oh they're professional, and they get paid, they're rich because that's all they do is train, right? Where here, you know, amateur athletes, you got to work a full time job, right? You got to fund your own training right if you're lucky you get some help from some sponsor but if you compare the two models even if they're amateur just because they're all in they know that you know they're, they're representing whatever their city state country right and they're and they get backed by those people i mean they're able to immerse themselves completely in in their sport 
right? And that's why they do so well. And that's why they do so well. They they do very well, even though they might be considered amateur to some level. Mm-hmm. The reality is that that they are sponsored by their own state, mm-hmm. and because they're good and they show talent, right? They have continual support to a level that is not known here For in sure. the United States, mm-hmm. and it's very common to see, even still today, countries like China and Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, do very well in Olympic sports. In order, in order to do that here, you got to be making money for somebody else. That's capitalism, right? So, I mean, Whereas you, you got to be. I mean, uh, even if we say like something serious, like um, gymnastics here in the U.S., very good, right? Top in the world, right? But those participants will say the girls, right? Somebody's making money off of them, right? They they think they're getting supported, right? Mm-hmm. And we're doing this for you, but the the in the investment that they're making with that what the organization gets in return far outweighs what they give the girls as far as support, right? So, I I know this for sure that we live in the capitalistic model, mm-hmm. and I'll just I'll just pick on USAW, which stands for United States yeah. America Weightlifting. United States America Weightlifting. They're making a lot of money right now. They have more participation membership now than ever before. Whereas the athlete, the lifter, it's very, very common for the lifter to fund their own yeah. weightlifting journey. Right. Very common. Right. Whereas if you go, for example, to Russia mm-hmm. or Colombia, mm-hmm. it's a state-sponsored sporting system. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like night and day. The The... How things are are handled, right? And and it shows, right? I mean, uh, there are things that sports that where we don't we don't participate very well because the infrastructure isn't there, right? And and it could be because the return that the people who are in charge get isn't as big as you know for gymnastics or whatever. But yeah, we're some sports where we can excel, we have the talent. You know, we're way behind because we don't apply the same model to every every yeah, sport. Yeah, you know, it's it's like. For example, track and field makes a lot of money. Right. Okay. For the people, it does. Mm-hmm. It is the Olympics, like bread and butter yes, sport. Right. And if you take, for example, the communist model, the capitalist model is about making money. It's about yeah. getting as much from your investment as possible. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the communist model, it was about human progress. Mm-hmm. What can the human potentially do? Right. Okay. With the proper support. Mm. Two different ideologies. Right. Is one better than the other? Is questionable. Both have developed great results. Mm. Right. All right. I so mean, you take Louis Simmons. Where Louis did he Sim- get the conjugate system exactly. from? Right. Got right. it from the Soviets. Right. And now, arguably, oh, we can say he's the godfather of powerlifting. Right. I mean, his his training methods are specific to a certain niche of white lip power lifter right but i mean it's like I mean, even, even if you do that right there's west side has been bastardized for for a long time right everyone changes it a little bit because it doesn't work for them because it's special to his his gym right but yeah i mean his he saw something that he you know and it wasn't even for powerlifting right? it, was for, it was for weightlifting louis simmons yeah louis simmons was a very unique individual someone who did not who thought outside the box right and he was not a conformist no. in his thinking and his approach to powerlifting. Because remember, he injured his back. Mm-hmm. And throughout his, his recovery process, he, he asked himself, there has to be a better way of training. There has to. 
Mm. And he got some some manuals from um, uh, from uh, the, I forgot the guy's name, mm. but uh, you know I, I I forgot his name. But yeah, if I, yeah. when I remember, I'll I'll bring it up. Yeah. But uh, he had manuals, training manuals yep. from the Soviet Union, mm-hmm. translated into English. Mm-hmm. Gave them to Louis Simmons, but he warned Louis. He said, "Listen, these are scientific manuals of training. I just want to let you know." Yeah. And sure enough, yeah. Fast forward now, Louis Simmons is able to take that information of yep. training and create his conjugate system. Mm-hmm. And from there, he has created arguably the most strongest powerlifters in the world. Yeah, and the most famous training system here in the states here in for the states, powerlifting for powerlifting right yeah. and if you look yeah. at the if you look at the guy i mean you can tell he does something he's a, he's an intimidating individual when you see him right but very dominant for right, sure right you wouldn't you wouldn't looking at well now i mean you can see pictures of when he was competing but now you wouldn't think that he was who he is right and his success is hard to argue right and everyone goes looking for him for advice right they all travel to you know west side barbell to get now did you know that west side if you train there is by invitation only i heard i heard uh stories right of you know the old one and it's moved around but that yeah it you don't pay right and you got to try out and once there once you don't pull your weight right you're out but when you're there you're 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 funded and supported by louis which if you're a powerlifter, I, th- I think that's fantastic. I right. think that's great. You're able to practice, you know, what you're, the sport that you love, right? There you go. So, um, uh, so you moved from Oxnard recently, right? Yes. To um, up north, right, to the Bay Area, San Francisco. San Francisco, right? And um, I would say you've you've, you know, again, going from the social media internet perspective right from what i see you've been able to um uh what do you structure your life in a way where you're able to do the the two things that you enjoy the most right you're able to train weightlifting and you're able to travel right so so would (laughs) would you say that you're the way that you live your life right you've been able to set it up so that you first and foremost are able to do those two things above all other things that's a yes that's a great question because it's it's very true i enjoy traveling quite a lot right and i've been able to structure my life around where i'm it usually this is the way it happens i'll train for something important mm-hmm. during the year mm-hmm. and once i've accomplished that mm-hmm. i want to take a little time off a little break mm-hmm. and that's usually the time where i go and just travel mm-hmm. and i don't do any training when i travel i just mm-hmm. i just get out yeah Usually it's I'm, I go to Europe, right? And I go there, and I just I just have an amazing time, and I'm able to structure that. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, because of my lifestyle and my mm-hmm. finances, I'm able to do so. Right. And I, I'm, I'm matter of fact, I'm leaving in a couple of days to Europe. Yeah. So do you go? Um, uh, everything's all planned out. Or no. You go hostel. You find out where you're going to stay when you get there. Every single day is, I don't know what's going to unfold. Right. I wake up every day practically in a new bed, in a new town. Yeah. And I just let the day unfold. Right. Everything. See here, you wake, think about your day. You wake up in the morning to the same bed. Yeah. In the same town. Yeah. And sleep Mm. the same day, same place. Mm -hmm. Where I go in Europe, every day is a different day. It's a different journey. Right. And I I love that. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, do you think, uh, 
I mean, you'd be able to write like a memoir, a pretty good memoir of all your adventures in Europe, or is it pretty top secret what happens when you go there? Nah, nah. <laughs> not like that, but, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, yeah. I enjoy having my good times, whether right. people agree with it or not. Yeah, yeah. I'm Like I share with people, I'm, I'm open yeah. to my experiences, yeah. and if they don't like that, well, yeah, too bad for you. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I like to do things that... It's really interesting. I'm going to be open right now, yeah. unfiltered. Yeah. The way I portray myself through social media and the people that, that know me, they would never think the things that I do, mm-hmm. uh, like at parties or mm-hmm. in Europe, right? definitely do not match at all. All right. And, and I'm okay with that. And is that because when you, I mean... It's because, that because when, you, when you go over there, no one knows. No one knows who you are. No one knows. Right? No one knows. So you, no can, one. you can be whatever you want. And and, there, and right? I only show what I want to show on social media. Right. But there are things that I do over when I travel uh-huh. that some people would find obscene, questionable, mm-hmm. uh, to to tarnish my reputation, and I don't care. I oh. really don't care. Right. But at the end of the day, you can. You don't have any regrets. Absolutely no. Because you've anything, anything that you well, well, within reason, we'll say, and that within reason is up to whoever's doing it, right? You can say anything that I can think of. That the only thing I, the only thing I regret is not having done more of the things that people find questionable Mm. and that piss people off. Well, there's still time, right? You can still (laughs) find time to do that, right? But I'm saying at the end of the day, you, 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 anything I think that I want to do, right? I want to go to, you know, wherever, Amsterdam and get high and smoke all the weed. Absolutely. Right? You can do it, right? So that when you're on your deathbed, when you're 90 years old, you can say, I wish when I was in Amsterdam, I would have, you know, done everything that everyone says you could do in Amsterdam. You know, the reason I live my life like that is because... Years ago, I read this article. Mm-hmm. It was called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Okay. And it was an it was actually by a, a book written by an Australian nurse. Her yeah. name was Roni. Oh, shoot. I don't even know her name right now. Okay. But anyway. Yeah. Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And I read this article. Right. And this article is about people on their last living, dying days. They yes. only have days to live. Yeah. And the nurse... Yeah, uh, yeah. Interviewed hundreds of patients okay. on their last dying days about what are the things that they regret about doing in life. Okay. And ta- and five of them came up. What those five are, you're gonna have to look it up. And for uh-huh. our listeners too, uh-huh. and I'm not gonna tell you because the secret is not for me and telling you; it's for you finding out. Whatever your five are. Yeah. Whatever your list is. Whatever your list is. Right. And it, but basically, that article after having read it, kind of did something to my mind yeah and made me realize that life is very limited here yeah and it's important to maximize the time that you have yeah and it really made me value the experiences that i want to have in this life uh-huh and well that, yeah well that's that's important right because you don't want to get to that last day and say oh crap shoot i didn't do this or that yeah yeah precisely yeah the cte podcast is brought to you by cafe tres estrellas Café Tres Estrellas is a small batch craft coffee roaster located in Oxnard, California. Visit us by following the link in the description below. If you want some fresh, locally roasted, organic, fair trade coffee, um, visit the website, place your order, and we will get it right out to you. Thanks a lot, and here's the rest of the show. That's good. All right, so you you travel, Olympic weightlifting, you, you, you coach? I do some coaching, yeah. Yeah? Uh, yeah. 
uh, Olympic weightlifting from what I, well, I've, you know, I, I mess, mess around with it every once in a while when I'm bored with my own training. Um, it's very technical and I would assume very difficult to do remotely um, via internet. So is all your coaching it's, it's in person? Even, it's even difficult to do it in person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's, 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 uh, it's very technical and fast and speed is important. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it right or you, or you get hurt. Um, so you do all yours in, in person or you do some remote coaching? I do very limited remote coaching. Mm-hmm. Very limited, almost none. Mm-hmm. I do have one client right now that I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Most of my coaching I do is hands-on. Yeah. Okay. I like it like that. Yeah. Because if you are the lifter, yeah, you're going to feel things that I can't feel. Yeah. Because you're doing the movement. But I, as the coach, I'm going to see things that you can't see. Right. So we have to work together. And together we can get very, very constructive feedback mm-hmm. to improve your performance mm-hmm. right on the spot right that's very hard to do with remote coaching for sure even if you post all your videos it's, it's not because you have like you said you after you lift you can say i saw this what did you what did you feel mm-hmm. right and then right there you can correct it right it's it's difficult you can see something but it's difficult for them to remember what they felt when when you're doing it remotely it's difficult because it's difficult to do in real time unless you have real time video there mm-hmm. but that's very hard to do logistically mm-hmm. yeah no that's cool you got a lot of uh pokers in the fire right mm-hmm. anything anything uh new you're working on besides what yeah actually, i'm aware of that you do i am actually uh i'm i'm writing a book all right and I'm on the finishing touches of it. I I hope to release it by 2019. I've been working on it for like two years. Okay. So hopefully 2019 is the year to come out. And uh, can you let us know what it's I'll about? Say, or uh, I'll say it's a book on self improvement. Okay. In the area of confidence. Okay. Developing your own confidence. I'm not going to tell you the title. All right. You know, that will be revealed. Yeah, you want to okay. you want to reveal it. Don't want to reveal it right now. But okay. eventually we'll find out. And um, right now, my biggest passion right now for over two months, I've been studying Italian and French okay. at the same time, uh-huh. and I love it. Are you hitting any of those uh, countries when you go this time to Europe? I don't know. I don't okay. know. But I will say this, is that I got the bug to speak Italian and French. The, I, was in, I was there in October mm-hmm. of 2018. I was there in France, in the south of France, and mm-hmm. I was in the north of Italy. Mm-hmm. And I knew when I came back, I knew I'm, I have to learn these languages. Mm-hmm. It is my mission to learn, and I've been on a mission, literally, studying it every single day. Mm-hmm. My Italian French, I have not missed a single day for over, like, going on six weeks now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, um, over here in the States, we're pretty pathetic as far as how many languages we no, right? Uh, yeah, when you go to your, like, the country that impressed me the most on languages they speak was Israel. Mm-hmm. Israel, Israelis, yeah. they have to learn Hebrew. Yeah. Some Arabic. English for sure. Yeah. And believe it or not, I've met a lot that spoke Spanish. Yeah. And that spoke Russian. All right. I was blown away. Yeah. Absolutely blown away. While here in America, we only speak one. Yeah. And if you're lucky, if your parents are from someplace else, you get taught that one. Two. If. If, if you're lucky. Yeah. If. I've, I'm fortunate to be bilingual, mm-hmm. working on four, hopefully right. in the next six months. All right. I want to be able to speak four languages. 
And then after that, I'm going to pick up another one. Right. Just put them in your tool belt. So you also have a blog, right? I do. What's your blog about? My blog is about lessons that I've learned through life, mm-hmm. through the platform. Right. And it's and um, in sport in general, it's amazing what you learn that you can apply to yeah. to life right? on, on a larger scale. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. right. Some people think, oh, you just go out there and have fun. Right. But teamwork and, and you know, um, work ethic and conflict resolution and right, all that, all that kind of stuff you, you learn while you're playing or or competing. Right. And it's it's good because you don't it isn't like here's my here's a lesson for today. Right. It isn't forced upon you. you. You're in it. You figure it out. Oh, crap. You know, and then when you see it in real life, you're like, oh, well, I know how to, you know, deal with this stuff. Right. That's. The things that you learn on the platform through in training, mm-hmm. the platform can be training or in competition. Mm-hmm. Those lessons that you learn there definitely extend outside the gym, mm-hmm. outside the competition platform. Right. One of the biggest lessons I've learned through training is having patience. Yeah. Yeah. Because we want results. Right. We want strength. Right. We want to make gains. Right. And it will come. Mm-hmm. Of course, you have to work hard and you have to all, all the obvious things. Mm-hmm. What's seriously lacking is patience. Right. Because it can take you literally two to three years, maybe even longer, just to add one kilo mm-hmm. to your lift. Right. One kilo is 2.2 pounds yeah. for the pound yeah. people out there. Yeah. That's, imagine that. Imagine training for two or three years. Right. You know? And me... Like what really motivates me even to continue training at a later age is I'm I'm 41, mm-hmm. so I'm not a spring chicken in the sport of weightlifting. Yeah, it, and what keeps and now they you know recently they've changed the weight classes, mm-hmm. and now I'm at a lighter weight class. So everything is new for me now at a lighter weight class. I used to compete in the 85 kilo mm-hmm. class, which is 187 pounds. Mm-hmm. Now I compete at the 81 class, mm-hmm. 81 kilo class, which is 178. Mm-hmm. So now what can I do maximally in my snatch and clean and jerk and mm-hmm. all my training lifts mm-hmm. at 81 kilos? Mm-hmm. What can I do? Mm-hmm. That right there in itself is brings enough curiosity mm-hmm. to to continue to training with with patience and with with uh, the drive and desire to see what I can do. Because right. even even at my age, I'm still setting PRs. Mm-hmm. I'm still setting PRs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the snatch. It might be some variation, some training. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, earlier this year, we did a Russian squat program, okay. a six-week Russian squat program. Yeah. And then multiple days per week. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever done it? No. I've heard it's horror stories. It's super intense. Yeah. Super intense. It's very... <sighs> that you have to train that. That's like... You don't... You exclusively do that for those six weeks. It's pretty so much. Hard, right? Yeah, pretty much. For six weeks. And while... It's physically hard. For me, it was more mentally hard mm-hmm. because I was doing things I never did before. And right. I had to believe in order to achieve right. and, and execute. Well, it's like John, John Bros, right, says, right, your, your body's lying to you, right? When you think yeah, your emotions don't are lying. Yeah, stuff. when yeah. you go in, you think you can't do it. You're, you're in a six-week training cycle where you squat pretty much every time you go to the gym. You get to the gym and you say, I feel like crap, right? But that's your head messing with you right that's the bros theory yeah that's take it whether you believe it or not for good or for worse yeah that's just another perspective yeah okay but i will say is that after six weeks i was able to add 10 kilos Mm -hmm. on top of my squat pr 
So my squat PR before then, yeah, yeah. and that was hard enough as it is. Mm-hmm. After six weeks, 10 more kilos, mm-hmm. when my coach told me that, like, we're going to add, you're going to squat this much after six weeks, I was like, I, I didn't believe it at the time. Mm-hmm. But as the six weeks was approaching, I felt I was capable. And, and this is because you're not a beginner anymore, right? If you're a beginner... If you're someone fresh, I've never lifted weights before. Even if you're even if you're old, if you had if you are doing everything correctly, yeah, your progress is fast, very right. And weekly, you can be adding that much weight weekly because you're new and your technique's getting better and your body's saying, "Wow, you really want me to work, so I have to yeah. start working." Right. But if you've been in the game for a while, you your progress slows down dramatically, right? As you progress, right? You you don't really get well. You get stronger. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where, you're, where your body's like, I'm giving you all I've got, right? So you got to change things, right? Like a six-week squat program, right? Or you got to have someone look at your technique and say, fix the minor flaw that I have, right? To start making progress again. Yeah, you need to introduce a new stimulus. You need to introduce a new stimulus every three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. And previously, I, I had never done the six-week squat program. So mm-hmm. everything was new to me. Yeah. And so making a 10 kilo gain after yeah. six weeks was yeah. unbelievable. It was amazing. Right. I, I couldn't believe it. Right. I saw stars afterwards. Right. You know, when I came up. Yeah. And, but man, I mean, it was moving slow, but I was like, oh, shoot, it's actually moving. Right. And then when I got out of the quote unquote, the hole. Yeah. You know, for those that know the hole, that yeah. is the abyss of the bottom of the squat. That's, yeah. You don't know if you're coming up or you not. You don't know yeah. if you're coming up or not. But yeah. once I got out of the hole. Yeah. I just knew I got this and it was moving slow. Right. But I got th- and it, and it it really that's it it feels slow right but if you look at it was it faster than you thought or you know I, I don't even I don't even know all I knew is that I was coming up and mm-hmm. like my life flashed before my eyes right. you know yeah I went into the darkness of the the abyss yeah. of the of the hole yeah and I did not know for certain if I was coming up or not but yeah. I, I I believed that I could. Mm-hmm. But you have to execute in real life. Yeah. And the probability of failure mm-hmm. was there. Mm-hmm. But we had trained for it. We had planned for it mentally, mm-hmm. physically. Right. And came up out of the hole. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was thinking the other day it was probably the greatest strength achievement I've done this year in 2018. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a big deal when you when you make any any progress is a big deal. But if you're at a point where... It, you're you're fighting for every kilo. Oh yeah, yeah definitely. Right, and then they get ten. <laughs> yeah. Right, holy, that's, that's a big deal. Yeah, right? I mean, you know what the, like what what, that's a good question. You know, like I ask myself, like what's I'm gonna ask you, mm-hmm. what's what's your greatest strength achievement you've done in 2018? Um, 2018. Well, I just broke the, I hold the US. I mean, and well, USPA 40 to 44, my age group, uh, bench press record drug tested right sounds pretty specific right on a tuesday right so i mean but that's what i've done this year right and uh it was my third attempt my second attempt i, ha- I did the same weight failed it yeah like uh i mean off the chest is the same thing as in the hole for the squat right so i failed it off the chest didn't transition to the top part of the lift and they took the weight so i had to re- i retook the same weight and when you go in the back right and something happens when you fail like that and you know you can get the weight, right? You go to a, a um, your unhappy place, right? You, you psych yourself up. You go to, like, to, you know, you know, my 
family is held hostage, right? I got to lift this weight no matter what, right? You you psych yourself up and you're yeah. physically pissed off, right? And then when you get back on the platform, you know, something happens inside of you where you say, you know, this is going to come up no matter yeah. what. I'm going to pass out. They're going to take the weight, right? Or I'm going to make the weight, but I'm not going to quit, right? And so same weight, third lift, and it, it got stuck in the transition to the top part, but, you know, slow. I looked at the video, super slow, and the spotters were there waiting to take it if it went down and yeah. you know you're you know you're gonna make it right because you're not gonna fail again on something you know you can do right and when you you're done i got two two white lights i mean someone says if you get all three white lights you're doing something wrong right so you want to be on the on the hairy edge of of not making it right yeah i've heard i've heard the equivalent to the squat says if you're getting three white lights yeah. on a squat, yeah. you're going too deep. Yeah, right. No, you want to cut it as, as close as you can, right? Yeah. Right. Within the rules. Within I mean, the rules. I, you told you know, like us, you know, like us Olympic weightlifters, I mean, we have our thoughts and whatnot about a squat and this and mm-hmm. that. You know, it depends on who you talk to, but come on. Even even me as an Olympic weightlifter, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do a powerlifting meet, I'm only going to squat to the for minimum. Sure. And I'm, I'm looking for two... White lights. I'm not going to go for three white lights. Come on now. No. The whole, the that means you're going to put more weight on the bar. Right? You're leaving weight on the platform. I, potentially, but yeah. I don't want, you know, hey, I I want to lift the most weight right. as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? If yeah. it, All I need is two white lights. For That's sure. all I need. Yeah. I'm very practical, man. I don't need to go. You don't need to prove a point. You I just don't gotta, need you just to prove anything, man. <laughs> so you're, uh, you're writing a book on confidence. Uh, can you give us a tip? How to improve your confidence? How to yeah, show your confidence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I'm, I'm actually glad you said that, and I'll leave it short. And that is this: and that confidence is a learned skill. Yeah, it is something that you have to that you can learn. Uh-huh. Very few people, if any, grow up into the come into this world uh-huh. fully confident. Right, and it's a skill you have to learn. Yeah, I mean, think about it, like. Can can you go to the local Target or local grocery store and buy a box of confidence? No, you cannot. I don't. I've never seen a product called confidence. You know that right. you can go buy and automatically you have confidence. Right. You have. It's a it's a learned skill and a skill you can develop, and it's something you have to develop every single day, and it's tied with your self esteem together. For sure. I mean, right, right. So. Uh, the reason I'm doing this this podcast is because I'm um, trying to get a, a coffee business up and running. Uh, one of the things that I find difficult because I've never done it before because I was not, I never learned it, is confidence in going out to make a sale to pitch my oh, my yeah. product. Right. Yeah, I got so you. So I know my, I mean, uh, the research that I've done tasting coffees, right? I know my product is as good or better than what's out there on the market right uh talking to prospective buyers convincing them you know yeah i'm new right but you go out and you try something off the shelf compared to mine you know you're now here, here's mine. a sales tip sorry to interrupt yeah, no you problem. No, but ahead. you know just to help out this is from sales i did sales for a long i love sales yeah i, I love sales yeah one of the things i learned in sales is that you you, you don't convince your customer or your mm-hmm. client, you persuade them. Okay. So you just get them down the path. You just ha- it's you create enough belief yeah. in your client. Yeah. And that takes confidence. Yeah. And when they trust you. Yeah. And they trust your product or your brand. Yeah. You have a sale. And remember, you have to ask for the sale. 
It's good. So that, that, uh, just for that tip, this this podcast episode was worth worth doing, right? <laughs> Get some, and that's why I mean, basically, that's why I'm doing this, right? Because I've yeah. never done. I've I've always been taught from my family, you know, you get a good job nine to five, someone you work for that will pay you regularly, right? Every week you get a paycheck for somebody, right? And, you know, what I want to transition into now is, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be, I want to be the one that says, I'm going to make this money because I made it myself, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's like night and day, right? The one has nothing to do with the other, right? So, and the reason I'm doing this is so that I can ask people who have done not you know, not necessarily starting a business just in general what they've done in their life you know where they've done things on that nobody's expected them to do right so you know it's interesting you bring that up because for those that don't know like me and andres we're of mexican background and i was talking with andres before here in that and you know whether people like it or not okay my experience growing up mexican especially in oxnard is that I did not grow up having high expectations. Mm-hmm. I did not. Being, being you know, when, when you're in the American school system, mm-hmm. you're taught from day one. In the American school system, America, we have the best schools. We have the best education. Mm-hmm. We're the best country in the world. Mm-hmm. We have the best democracy. We have the best economics. We have the best, ev- the best of everything, mm-hmm. for good or for worse. Right. That's the, the point is that it's instilled in you. Yeah. Growing up home, that wasn't really instilled in my parents. Right. To me, they just had a certain outcome, mm-hmm. you know, expectation of myself. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I was able to exceed and overcome that and mm-hmm. achieve things in my life, mm-hmm. which we're sharing here right now. Mm-hmm. And it's very important to to talk to people who, have like you said, achieve things. And how can you take that mm-hmm. into your business, for, for example? Sure. For sure. And would you say that's just because, I mean, it's just because we're the family is playing it safe, right? Would you think that that's you, you? They don't want you to do something that you're going to fail at. They want you to do something that you're for sure going to succeed at. So is that why they keep their expectations low? You know, I I can only speak for myself, right? But like my parents, they allowed us to do anything that we wanted. Yeah. They never pressured us to play a certain sport, yeah. to participate in a certain field. Yeah. They gave us an open slate to experiment, mm-hmm. to fail. Mm-hmm. Just don't and die. In anything in life. Right. To f- to find and navigate our own cor- our own life, mm-hmm. and I'm forever thankful that my parents allowed us to do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's different for other parents. How many brothers and sisters? I have. I'm the oldest. Yeah. I have a younger brother. Yeah. Who's in a up and coming band. All right. Las Cafeteras. Okay. And I have two other sisters that are younger. All right. So yeah, being the oldest one, um, are you consider yourself an example, or do you say? This is just how I'm doing my thing. It's 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 interesting I'm, because being the oldest, I had no idea how much of an impact you have mm-hmm. towards your family. Mm-hmm. In this example, because I was the first in my family to graduate from university mm-hmm. and everyone else is doing so. Mm-hmm. I'm not a runner, mm-hmm. but I ran in 2005. I ran the Los Angeles Marathon. Okay. And my brothers and sisters, they're, they're runners, cross okay. country in high school and yeah, college. Yeah, yeah, And I ran a marathon before they did. Mm-hmm. And shortly after, they ran their marathons. Mm-hmm. Except for my, my youngest sister. She's yet to run, but she's about to. Mm-hmm. But I learned. I, I, I had no idea that my influence would, would influence them yeah. in that particular way. So, so you're, you're like, uh, 
Josue did it, so you know it, it can be done, right? So why can't I do it? Precisely, right? I mean, I went. I was the first in my family. For example, another. I'm. I'm the first of many in my family. I was the first to go to Europe. Okay. Years ago, my brother went there last year with his band, and they're All going right. again. All right. But uh, my sister, she just recently ran a marathon. Yeah. And after the marathon, my youngest sister, who's 18, she said to herself, well, it looks like everyone's ran the marathon. I guess it's my turn now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she, fe- she feels the pressure. <laughs> Got scratched that off her list, huh? I ran. I wanted to run the marathon because I had a, it was on my bucket list of yeah. things to do. Yeah. And you know what? Would you do it again? No. <laughs> Hell no. Yeah. It was the Pick hardest. Pick a special kind of person to do that. Man, I don't know. I don't mm. know. All I know is that, man, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, physically and, yeah. and mentally. It was so hard. Yeah. Like around mile 21. That's what they say. What's the wall like? The wall is hell. Yeah. It's hell. Yeah. And and you, oh, man, it was, all I remember, there was there was a side of my shoulder that was telling me, look, stop now and the yeah, pain yeah. will be over and yeah. it, it, you'll be all right. But then the reason, I, the, the only reason why I kept going yeah. was because I saw myself in the future as a grandfather yeah. speaking to my grandkids, yeah. saying to them, I would have, should have, and could have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was more painful, right. living with the pain of regret yeah. forever yeah. than just finishing with the pain let me tell you after that it got it still it never got better the pain it just yeah. got worse and worse and worse uh-huh. but I knew then I, I had to finish I had to at all costs cool. so yeah that's that was my marathon experience yeah I, I did a couple of halves and uh, I did and one of the halves was in the, my training cycle to do a, a full marathon and so I did my half marathon 13.1 miles the next weekend was supposed to be f- 14 or 15 miles for the, my long training run completely different story right there's something different there's something weird about going that far right after that, I said no nah, I can't you just this can't. is not for me right yeah um, but like you're saying maybe I have to do it just so that I can say you know and there, there are things that are you know possible for everyone to do regardless of you know what their background is right completing a marathon is one right some people can't i'm gonna own a boat or i'm gonna go to the moon right some people things you can't do right but things you can do like you know running a marathon and we're out in public so now you hear a, an alarm going on i know right you should you should uh you should do it right because you like you said you don't want to be on your deathbed talking to your grandkids saying man i should have i should have done that right you, you know yeah because what i'll say is this is that i knew I just knew that was one of the things I wanted to scratch off my bucket list. Mm-hmm. If I didn't do it, I would live the rest of my life regretting that. Mm-hmm. And the only time I had to do it was then yeah. and now yeah. at that moment. Oh, right on. If I had quit, I don't know if I would have even repeated or even wanted to attempt to even train for another marathon right because you would remember how much pain it is uh, yeah, yeah, and you would have said it was not worth it's not worth starting it, all over again it was not worth it starting over again so it was because that was more painful yeah. than just finishing and right. that could that could extend into anything in life yeah starting a new business yeah starting a family yeah starting uh an endeavor an yeah. adventure yeah you know there's the, the the fear of uncertainty is it can be very real but mm-hmm. it can be either a 
a very powerful deterrent mm-hmm. or a powerful motivator. Right. Cool. All right. So you're a blog writer, author, Olympic weightlifter, world traveler, right? Um, that's pretty eclectic life, right? Well-rounded. You do a little bit of everything. You know, I, I, I just do what I do things that I want to do. Yeah. And I do things because I can. Yeah. And for example, like I told I, our, our listeners earlier, yeah. I'm, I'm taking Italian and French and yeah. I'm very serious. I'm very, yeah. very committed. Okay. And I do it because I can, because mm-hmm. like there's, there's a, my father who came as an immigrant into this country, mm-hmm. if there's one thing that he insta- instilled in us was mm-hmm. a work ethic, mm-hmm. but he never, ever made us feel that just because we're Mexican, mm-hmm. we're less worthy of anything. Mm-hmm. And I live with that spirit forever. Mm-hmm. He, he instilled that in us. He demonstrated that. And mm-hmm. I never, ever thought, because in our community, our Mexicano community, mm-hmm. there's way too many Mexicanos who believe like they're not worthy enough to receive the great things in life has to offer. Mm-hmm. I never once believed that, even to this day. Mm-hmm. Why can't a Mexicano, Chicano, go over to Europe and enjoy something that's an unimaginable for others why can't a chicano be an author mm-hmm. or why can't like they go out and achieve great things for themselves that they can be proud of right for themselves right and my father taught us that and it's the spirit that i live with you know even today why can't you know a chicano from oxnard create a coffee company right why not right why on. not right right cool no well like i said it's the the jewels of wisdom that you've imparted on us have been worth the um, getting together, man. That's pretty cool. I, I, I'm very. That's, cool. that's why I was very excited to be here. Right. You got. No, it was good. So, where can? Uh, um, all right. Now on you. So you can let everyone know what you're doing, where to find you, how to get to you. Yeah. Right. People are curious to find who just type in my name, Josue Cano, mm-hmm. J-O-S-U-E-C-A-N-O, mm-hmm. either on any social media platform. Mm-hmm. You can find anybody. I don't need to give you the address. What's your Noah? What's your blog address? Blog address is scjlift.com. S-C-J-Lift. Stands for Snatch, Clean, and Jerk. And where should they be looking out for your book? Where were you? Amazon for sure. Amazon for Amazon, sure. Amazon, yeah. All right. Yeah, so if yeah. when after you after you uh, get your book out there, and after you get your first sale, uh, I'll call you up. We'll do it again. That'd be fantastic. And we'll oh, see. I like it. The pressure's on to finish. I, I hope to release it. Yeah. In 2019. Yeah. That's my hope because it's it's a long process. Oh, uh, for sure. Right. All right, man. Thanks for coming out. I'm any, nice. any parting parting thoughts? Holiday season. No, I'll just everyone just in, you know in, in, enjoy this fantastic day and this wonderful experience of life. Yeah, all right, man. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Cool, man. Great. Later. So that's it, guys. That's what uh, how Cam structures his life to do what he thinks is the most important to him. Thanks for listening. Um, please share this episode with your friends so that they can listen and, and um, get some tips on how to uh, structure your life to do what you want, right? It's your life. You can structure it however you want. 
you can do things and not do things, set yourself up to enjoy life as you want to. Um, if you have an interesting story, if you want to share how you um, do things in your life, message me on any social media platform or website that you hear this um, podcast on. Um, I will then schedule an interview with you so you can share your story with um, you know, as many people as you can to inspire others so people can learn from you and hopefully I can learn something from you as well. Thanks for listening. Uh, visit our sponsor uh, and I will talk to you guys next time.